Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by... Ricky Sanders, and as we are getting ever closer to the NFL season, we thought that uh, now would be an appropriate time to start going through division by division, team by team, and doing full NFL team previews. And Ricky, because you are a fan of the Chicago Bears and you live in a state that uh, now, I mean, as of literally, what, two hours ago, you live in a state with, uh, with legal live mobile betting. How does that feel? Oh, it feels excellent. That, let's put it that way. I mean, uh, just reading the tweets of everyone reacting to it has been fun. And, I mean, in true Chicago fashion, homerism has already started as people have started to pour in on the bets for the over on the Bears' win total, which is hilarious. Those are, like, basically all the first bets that these sports bets have taken have been massive bets on the Bears' over. There you go. So let's uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the 2020 Bears from a fan. Well, well, you know, we'll talk fantasy football. We'll talk betting. We'll talk, uh, you know, just a little bit about everything. First off, Ricky, who do you think starts the most games at quarterback for the 2020 Bears? I feel like I'm all of a sudden in the minority thinking that it's Nick Foles. I don't think they would have gone out and gotten him. And I don't think that Nagy has this relationship with him and says such positive things for Mitch Trubisky to be the guy who leads the team and starts. Now, obviously, injury, coronavirus, uh, there's just a million things that could lead to, by accident, Mitch Trubisky having to step in. But I think assuming full health, I I think it's Nick Foles uh, who's the guy here. I just think you watched Mitch Trubisky throw the football last year, and he he basically reminded you of a Blake Bortles. I mean, he was a guy who, who graded 
basically outside the top 25, according to Pro Football Focus, in terms of just his overall play, which is not a good NFL starting quarterback. So basically, what do you have to lose switching to someone else? And you've got this naggy system that, you know, really focuses on the short routes. You get these guys in the uh, in the you know posts that uh, I think will be a good fit for Nick Foles. We saw him kind of get it done with D.D. Westbrook. So the guys playing inside receiver, I think, will have a bunch of, you know, open lanes and maybe potentially a quarterback who could get them the ball. I just think it's a good fit for the system. And I think, you know, all the context around it is Nick Foles was brought in to be the guy. So I tend to agree with you. I don't think Nick Foles was brought in to be the guy. I disagree with that statement. I think if Nick Foles was going to be the guy, we would have seen some evidence of that. But, you know, the Eagles didn't think he was the guy. The Rams didn't think he was the guy. The Jaguars, you know, chose to go with Gardner Minshew instead. Like, they're, they're just, there have been a lot of chances for Nick Foles is basically what I'm saying. There's been a lot of opportunities for him to be the guy. He's never been the guy. Now, that being said... Does that mean that he is can? Does that mean that he cannot be the guy and still be better than Mitch Trubisky? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think Trubisky was so offensively bad last season for the Bears that uh, you know I just I just don't really I don't really see a path to you know them giving him a contract extension to him being on a uh, you know a ten win team or anything like that. Like I just I just. I think the Trubisky era has come and gone, and he is going to be a, a career-long backup. However, wouldn't surprise me if it ended up kind of being a split, like Foles gets eight games, Trubisky gets six games. Actually, you know what it kind of reminds me of is the um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 2018, where once the starting quarterback threw two interceptions, they brought the other guy in and then played that guy until he threw two interceptions. We might see some sort of tandem like that for uh, for Trubisky and Foles. Yeah, I think that's within the range of outcomes. We're talking about a quarterback that was six yards per attempt last year. And I just think Nick Foles with these slot receivers, you now have Ted Ginn, who was extremely quick. You brought in Darnell Mooney. I think these are the kind of receivers. And we've seen, by the way, Nick Foles succeed with tight ends, of which the Bears currently have 10. Uh, but of course, we think Jimmy Graham's going to be the red zone guy. Cole Komet is the project. I think the inside sort of receivers are the ones that have worked with Nick Foles. I think Nagy, you know, kind of sought out a guy who he, he, he viewed to be affordable and a short-term solution that could work in his system to not get him fired. So I think it's it's just a fine fit. I don't want to call it a good fit. And I, I'm curious as to why the masses are, are flocking to the over with the Bears. I guess the defense should still be fine, but there were some glaring holes they had to fill in the secondary that I'm not sure have just been filled to satisfaction. Uh, I don't see this as over an eight-win team. I don't, I don't see it as over an eight-win team either. I actually think, though, the interesting part of this team, specifically for fantasy football, is the backfield because, you know, the team really wants to give um, – I, I think they like David Montgomery, right? Like, I, I think that despite how inefficient he was last year, how brutal he was to, uh, to watch play, uh, I think they, they want to give him – 250 carries again this year, Ricky, even if even if he is not going to be super efficient on those carries. And that's something that you've talked about before when we were doing our dynasty startup draft of being like, look, David Montgomery is young and he's going to get the touches. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the real selling point to David Montgomery is you've got this tandem backfield with Tariq Cohn and Montgomery, but in the offseason, both the coach and the general manager made it a point to say, look, David Montgomery is the guy. We didn't give him enough touches last year. That was on us. He's not a great back. He's not, like, overly elusive. He's just kind of a volume back. But for fantasy purposes, that's really all you care about. If you could see a guy whose whose touches are going upwards and all of a sudden we could see him in the, you know, 225, 250 overall touch range, and he's the guy getting the goal line carries, he's going to be a usable fantasy back. Now, for real-life purposes, do I think the Bears could have used an upgrade? Sure, they just didn't have enough draft capital. Yeah, so last year, David Montgomery played in all 16 games, 242 rushing attempts, right? So they, they gave him the ball. They gave him every opportunity. He ran for... 3.7 yards per carry. He was targeted 35 times, 185 yards, scored seven touchdowns overall. Really was not a guy you were ever excited to start. You know, even if you even if you had him, you know, he got his 1,000 scrimmage yards, but he, was, he really was just a roster clogger. And I think the same is true for Tariq Cohen, where he had 104 targets. I mean, if you start the year and you're like, oh, my guy's going to get 104 targets at running back, you're doing cartwheels you think that's so awesome but he only averaged 4.4 yards per target which is very interesting because the year before he had eight yards a target and he was catching balls down the field you know like he was he had 725 receiving yards and five receiving touchdowns in 2018 so just kind of a kind of a bummer that we saw him decrease in efficiency i'm wondering though if there's some upside for cohen even more so than Montgomery, because the interesting thing about Cohen is that they actually target him down the field. If you go back and look at that 2018 season, you'll see that a lot of his best games came when, you know, they were throwing him the ball on wheel routes. They were really trying to involve him, not just on screens, not just in the flat, but like actually down the field. And I think with the release of Taylor Gabriel, I know you like Darnell Mooney, but I think with the release of Taylor Gabriel, there's a chance that Cohen turns into that down-the-field player again for Chicago. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Ted Ginn's going to get the first shot at being that down-the-field guy, by the way. Uh, I saw the wide receiver coach say that Ted Ginn is one of the most explosive playmakers in the room. And he, he called him a kid, by the way. I thought that was hilarious. Ted Ginn... 35 years old, being called a child from his wide receiver coach. But I think he is going to have an opportunity to catch passes down the field. I think Mooney is as well, and I think Tariq Cohn will. So I think it's a little more convoluted than you might think that this is just, you know, Tariq Cohn's area of the field. Uh, but looking at, you know, Nick Foles, when he did have an extended opportunity, you know, with that Eagles team back in 2018, uh, I mean, it was Zach Ertz with the majority of the volume, if you care about such things. And I don't think this is comparing, you know, apples to apples, an apples to oranges situation. But Nelson Aguilar, the down the field guy, almost 100 targets. So uh, I do think there w they will be attempting to throw downfield more with Nick Foles than with Mitch Trubisky, which is just always an uncomfortable situation. And you look at the running back targets, they didn't really have... You know, too many guys, Darren Sproles was banged up that year. He basically played six games, but, like, didn't make it through many of them. So I don't know if you could look at this Eagles sample and, like, feel great about it. But Wendell Smallwood was a guy who caught about 30 passes. So, uh, I mean, clearly Tariq Cohn's a much more gifted pass catcher than he was. I think you could see a similar amount of targets to last year. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually, I just wrote a zero RB target article on sportsgrid.com. If you guys want to go and check that out. And Cohen was one of the guys that I listed because he's pretty much, you know, he's going outside of the top 100 picks in most drafts, but he could catch 70 passes. And if he just runs hot, like, cause that's kind of what, when you're making these picks, a lot of the time you're thinking is, you know, I just, I just want to run hot. I, I want to get lucky. And Cohen has pretty clear paths to getting lucky because he is going to get targeted down the field. Now we, we have now spent 10 minutes talking about the bears and we haven't mentioned the two guys that we actually really want to roster. Uh, well, I don't know about you for Anthony Miller, but Alan Robinson and Anthony Miller are two guys I really like. And actually for their cost, I prefer Anthony Miller over Allen Robinson. Miller, one of my most drafted guys throughout this offseason. Yeah, I completely agree with that assessment. Uh, I think Anthony Miller is the clear number two option here. Tariq Cohn's going to get his, and you're going to have the tight ends worked in. But this is a wide receiver-centric offense. And I think that Allen Robinson is he's being drafted properly. I mean, you're you're getting him about 20th receiver. I think that's a fair price for him. But but Anthony Miller has shown the ability to find the end zone. And I think that he has sneaky double digit touchdown sort of upside in this offense. And it's definitely not being priced like that. And you could get him much, much later than than Allen Robinson. So you know, Taylor Gabriel kind of made it a three-man three, three man show. I don't think Ted Ginn is going to garner anywhere near the volume of that. Cole Komet can make up for some of it. But I really do think Anthony Miller, a true number two, and is being priced basically like a number three or four where he's being drafted. Yeah, and, you know, the nice thing about looking at the Bears is we don't think of them as a high-volume offense. We don't think of them as an offense that scores a ton. But because they are trailing in a lot of games, there are a lot of pass attempts to be had there. They were 14th in the NFL in passing attempts last year in, uh, you know, what was it? An eight and eight, a pretty mediocre season for the Bears. And Anthony Miller was more involved than you remember. So he had only 85 targets. But if you remember, he was basically benched at the beginning of the year and really turned it on towards the latter half of the year. Games of 13 targets and 15 targets um, against Detroit and Green Bay. So I, I think that there were definitely some positive signs for Anthony Miller at the end of the season. So we are going to go ahead and head into break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to keep going through the NFC North and turn our attention to the Green Bay Packers uh, team with uh, some controversial guys at pretty much every level of their team in fantasy football. We will see you guys on the other side of break talking Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, and the rest of the crew in just a few minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah, psh. I'm Tony Cameron brown a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? 
You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top they ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Ricky Sanders, continuing our team previews for fantasy football and gambling purposes here on the Daily Roto Hour, going through the NFC North today, turning our attention to the Green Bay Packers after examining the Chicago Bears in our first segment. And, uh, you know, I think the right place to start with the Packers is, is Ricky, really, we should just ask and answer the question do we buy the Packers turning themselves into a run heavy team you know trying to mimic that approach that the San Francisco 49ers had last year that was so effective in knocking uh knocking the Packers out of the playoffs in the NFC Conference Championship game because that's what they say they uh they are telling us they want to do that and then they draft uh, A.J. Dillon, they draft Josiah DeGuerra, who in the third round, uh, who is, you know, really a, a fullback, H-back style player. So, you know, just do we buy that to begin with? So I I buy they're going to commit to the run. I don't buy they're going to be the 49ers. When you look at the pass attempts and how it's trended recently, from 2018, Aaron Rodgers in a full 16 games, 597 to 
569 last year. So about 30 less passing attempts. And I mean, the results, interception percentage went up. There's a bit of randomness to that. The yards per game went way down. I think, you know, LaFleur maybe looks at this as I drafted Jordan Love because we want to groom him. We don't want to, you know, run Aaron Rodgers into the ground. We want him to kind of have time to remain healthy and groom love while he's still here. And in the meantime, we could get a little bit more pass happy as we get Aaron Rodgers getting into his older 30s. So from that, I get it. But you still have Aaron Rodgers under center. You still have Devontae Adams. Uh, I don't think you could completely devolve into a run first and run only kind of team when you have a quarterback like this and in a competitive division where you very often will be playing from behind. So I think... You know, I think they think that's where it's going to go. But when all said and done, like, I'd be surprised if we're talking about Aaron Rodgers under 560 pass attempts. So just for for context for people, these are Aaron Rodgers passing attempt numbers for the last three seasons, which to me, this is the last three seasons is when we began to see the decline of uh, of Aaron Rodgers, Uh, 238 passing attempts in that injury filled 2017 season. 597 passing attempts in 2018, 569 last year in the 13-3 and season. His finishes in fantasy, though, uh, ninth at quarterback last year, uh, sixth at quarterback the year before, and then had the QB1 season in 2016. So, you know, it's not that it's not that Rodgers is bad, Ricky. It's just that his ceiling weeks have been a little bit fewer and farther between, right? So if we go back and look at last year, he had three or more touchdown passes in only uh, in only three games, well, five touchdown game against Oakland, four touchdown game against the Giants, and then it, 303 against the Kansas City Chiefs. But he also had three games with zero passing touchdowns at all. I mean, Think thinking about Aaron Rodgers, like think about uh, 2016 Aaron Rodgers having a zero touchdown game like that. It seems absurd. Yeah. And I think maybe we can take this into a, a daily fantasy conversation really quick in that we know in daily fantasy football, you want to stack quarterbacks with receivers. Right. And when a quarterback has an outlier passing performance in terms of touchdowns, meaning four or five touchdowns, you very often want to double stack him with receivers. Uh, because then you end up getting more exposure to, you know, multiple guys who could both have 100 and a touchdown and you're looking for that upside sort of week. Like, is Aaron Rodgers anymore someone that you want to be rostering a ton? Because it feels like on most weeks you could get most of the Aaron Rodgers value from just rostering Devontae Adams. I don't know if this year I'm going to be on, you know, four millionaire weeks. Uh, on you know either of the sites that I have to use Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams and someone else. I think you know Aaron Rodgers weeks you could get enough of him having like the multiple Devontae Adams touchdown game and the potential for him to run for a touchdown. So it kind of like works into the conversation that we were talking about that his ceiling isn't quite high as it used to be because we used to feel great about those five touchdown weeks. You stack him with Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings and, you know, you you think you could get those weeks out of him. I just don't think there's enough pass catchers on this team to feel good about it. Yeah, it's just it really is just a a different team. You know, you look at the way they've invested in their team and you you see a lot of running backs and you know the wide receiver room is 
you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot different. So let's go ahead and look at the wide receiver and tight end combos here. So first off, you know, they, they get rid of Jimmy Graham. They, uh, they, they cut him. He signs with division rival, the Chicago bears. And I'm sure the Packers are, are so upset about that. They, they didn't want Jimmy <laughs> Graham to come back and haunt them. So their, their tight end rotation is, uh, their blocking tight ends are Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tanyan. Then Jay Sternberger would be the guy here who has a little bit of ceiling. Uh, the guy he played at uh, KU uh, Community College and Texas A&M played at all those places in uh, in college. I I like Sternberger. I think he is uh, a legitimate late round tight end to target this year. But uh, I mean, well, first of all, do you agree with me on that assessment? Do you have a little bit of interest in uh, in Sternberger as a late round tight end? Yeah, and you heard the coaching staff talking about potentially working him out of the slot, which makes me, I mean, you have to have interest here, considering the lack of alternatives. Alan Lazard uh, looks like he's the, the default number two here, but, I mean, yeah. Lazard, a guy with 50-plus targets last year. I know he came on late, uh, but I think anyone who is big on this team you got to have interest in because where are Aaron Rodgers touchdowns going if he's going to flirt with 30 other than Devontae Adams? Sternberger is a guy who is big, so I think he can catch touchdowns. Yeah, I, I certainly I think that is true. I think he is a, a worthy late round target for sure. So Devontae Adams, uh, do we do you believe he is firmly the second wide receiver in fantasy? You know, it goes Michael Thomas, then Devontae Adams. I mean, we could see a preposterous volume season from Devonta Adams. He could be targeted 200 times, I think, Ricky. I, I legit think that is in play. I mean, he was pretty much on pace for that last year. 127 targets in 12 games, so over 10 targets a game. He was basically at 1,000 yards. Five touchdowns, I actually think, was outlier low for Devontae Adams, except unless you you know factor in that look, he's the clear guy that the defenses will be targeting to slow down in the passing game. But if Jay Sternberger can you know show that he's viable, I think Aaron Jones will get used in the slot a bit, which is the reason for adding AJ Dillon to the team. Uh, I think there's different ways they can deploy this team where still Devontae Adams is going to be you know an excellent threat on this team. I think 200 targets is not, you know, unattainable. I drafted him in our auction league for, I think it was the second most of any receiver, significantly cheaper than Michael Thomas. So I'm a believer in Devontae Adams just because you look everywhere else. Aaron Jones is a good pass catcher. I think Lazard has the trust of Aaron Rodgers, but none of them scream that they're going to give any sort of run to Devontae Adams for being, you know, the top target man in this offense. Do we uh, do we buy any kind of Devin Funchess resurgence? Like you know, just let let Aaron Rod. You know what? I can kind of see Devin Funchess playing like a. You remember when James Jones had like a 13 touchdown season for the Packers? Like I could kind of see him playing that role where he's not catching a, he's not catching a ton of passes. He's not being targeted all that frequently, but when he is getting targeted, they are really valuable targets you know down the field in the end zone places like that like I I could I could see that happening well that like assumes that Aaron Rodgers still has like a 30 plus touchdown season that in season, him right yeah and I'm not sure that's the case I think his role at best is like an aging Anquan Bolden move the sticks sort of dude I don't really see him as like a, a massive touchdown threat he has the body for it 
But, I mean, he's just kind of been dust for a while, and I'm not sure that going to this team that's focused more on running is the perfect setup or even a good setup for, for a bounce-back sort of year. I think if he ended up, you know, a fantasy wide receiver four, could I see that? Sure, but I don't think he really has the upside for much beyond that. Yeah. Something I don't hate doing for best ball is drafting both Funchess and Lazard, Lazard, however you say it. I think both of those two guys are. Uh, I think both of those two guys are sort of interesting in uh, in that role. Like I, I could see that being a strategy that pays off, especially because they are, you know, they're just they're just so cheap. And of course, uh, my boy. My boy Marquez Valdez Scantling, you know, it just it, it it's it's probably not going to happen for him, but I I really I really want to make it happen. It's a, it's a big bummer, but we should talk about the running room, uh, the running back room there now. Aaron Jones going as a mid to late second round pick, and last season he scored. 20 touch, 19 touchdowns on 285 touches. He was targeted 68 times, recorded 236 rushing attempts, obviously ran super hot with the touchdowns. Um, Ricky, the, the issue with Jones is, uh, there's well, there's a couple things. First is he had pretty big splits when Devontae Adams was in and when Devontae Adams was out in terms of his touchdown usage and in terms of his uh, usage in the passing game. Like he just, you know, he just was lower on the pecking order than uh, than Devontae Adams. But also, I mean, that's an insane amount of touchdown luck. Like, like just like too much touchdown luck uh, for us to expect to be repeatable or anything like that. So where are you at on Aaron Jones? Like, where are you setting the over-under for touchdowns this year? I think like nine and a half like, is a Like fair nine, number. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so from that perspective, I mean, getting a back who still should get, you know, I think that the touches 200 plus is a fine number. He was at 236 last year. Uh, and a guy who you mentioned, you know, his targets increased in the games without Devontae Adams. I still think 60 targets on a team with just a complete lack of receivers is a decent number. But because he was so lucky, I thought he was a guy who was going to sneak into the first round this year. But, you know, the, the field seems sharper. But I think at the end of the second round in fantasy, even with A.J. Dillon there, who's going to steal some touchdowns, like if we factor in that we think the over-under is nine and a half and you think you could get nine touchdowns from a guy who still should be mostly the workhorse towards the end of the round I think that's a fair price and I think that risk is by then baked in yeah I think uh I think that probably is I think you're right I think that it, it is sort of baked in I think where you will run into problems with Aaron Jones is if they use all three guys so if AJ Dillon's getting used on the goal line some Jamal Williams is getting used on passing down some I think yes. you're gonna run into a really big problem there in which, yeah, Aaron Jones is going to have some startable games. There's going to be some games you're really glad to have him. You know, might have a couple three-touchdown games, might have some games with some long runs. But he's kind of going to become the volatile version of, like, a best ball wide receiver where you never really know when the best weeks are going to come, and he's going to be a better asset in, uh, you know, best ball leagues than in, in redraft leagues, and you never want to feel that way about your, your second-round pick. So we're going to go ahead and head into break now here on the Daily Roto Hour. We're going to continue our conversation on the NFC North with the Minnesota Vikings. When we return, we're saving the worst for last with this division, going to the Detroit Lions last. So going to go ahead and head into break, returning to talk about Kirk Cousins and uh, Adam Thielen in just a moment. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You're watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Ricky Sanders, continuing our series of NFC North team previews for fantasy football and sports betting purposes. We have to uh, we have to now move to uh, I think Ricky, a pretty boring team as far as uh, as far as fantasy teams can go. Not a ton of changes for the Vikings year over year. They have replaced Steph Diggs with. Uh, Justin Jefferson, but I don't really know how much, you know, Adam Thielen's role is going to change. I don't know how much Irv Smith Jr.'s role is going to change. Do you agree with my assessment that the Vikings just seem kind of boring? Yeah, the most exciting thing is the holdout of their running back situation. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's, for fantasy purposes, the thing that mostly everyone's talking about. And the thing that I'm personally excited about is to see how well Justin Jefferson... uh, basically asserts himself year one because I have a feeling that I think he could be, you know, just as productive as Thielen in year one, which is a crazy thing to say, but how productive were the receivers in general last year? They weren't. I mean, Thielen averaged 4.8 targets per game. Would it shock me if it's, you know, run heavy team once again? Um, But yeah, because it is such a run heavy team, we're looking at the running backs. We're looking at Dalvin Cook saying, how much time are you going to miss? And we're looking at the the, the FanDuel lines here, over under eight and a half wins, and they're a favorite to make the playoffs. I'm like not that excited about either of those lines for the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the distribution tree for targets for uh, the Vikings last year, 94 targets for Diggs. He's gone, so we can probably pencil in Justin Jefferson for 80 to 100 targets, you know, kind of in that realm, you know, probably four catches a game if if he turns out to be a good NFL player. You know, obviously there's some bust potential with all these guys. Dalvin Cook, 63 targets in 14 games, 3.8 receptions per game, 48 targets for Adam Thielen in 10 games. I mean, that is startlingly low, right? Like just, it feels weird to think about, you know, Adam Thielen, like we all love him. Um, You know, people like to draft him and he was really low and then Rudolph 48 targets Irv Smith Jr. 47 Olabisi Johnson 45 I mean this team Ricky threw only 466 forward passes like that's crazy yeah no Kevin Stefanski though remember he left for Cleveland so different offense here still Mike Zimmer who likes to focus on defense coaching this team so I don't know. I think there's a potential we get over 500 passing attempts from this team, especially if they're not quite as competitive as we think without uh, Delvin Cook. And I've seen people speculating online, you know, saying running backs don't matter, but Madison's a much worse back than Delvin Cook. So over time, you would think this offense would notice the difference. Uh, I still feel good, obviously, about Alexander Madison and daily fantasy and yearly fantasy while he's starting. But I wonder if they're not just able to pound the ball down the throat with Madison. You know, in a small sample, he averaged more yards per attempt last year than Dalvin Cook. But I don't think you could take the samples one for one, seeing as how many more attempts. I mean, two and a half more attempts for Dalvin Cook than Alexander Madison. If you saw, you know, Madison with 250 touches, are we getting a four and a half yard per carry player? We don't really know the answer to that yet. And if the answer is no, 
all of a sudden, this team could be getting behind, this team could be having to throw, and you could see multiple 100-plus target receivers in this offense again. I don't think that's that's out of the question, which is why I took Thielen in our auction league. I feel good about him, and which is why I'm loading up on the Justin Jefferson shares, is I think people are just assuming that the way they ran their offense last year is the way they're going to run things this year. But especially if there's no Dalvin Cook, you can't just pound the football down your opponent's throats. Something, uh, something I might be wondering is if they give Mike Boone a little bit of uh, of a longer look. So last season, you know, everyone remembered Mike Boone was uh, he was the stone cold chalk in week 16 and really disappointed. Uh, well, uh, yeah, he had uh, 11 carries, 28 yards, one target, one reception against Green Bay in a 23 to 10 loss, and then uh, against Chicago the next week, 17 carries, 148 yards, uh, a touchdown, three targets, two receptions for 12 yards. I'm wondering if maybe Boone gets a little bit more of a look. Maybe maybe Boone is actually you know the uh, the more you know maybe the the more explosive runner you know and and maybe Madison and Boone end up in some sort of timeshare that would you know and that that is definitely a way that they'd be able to keep their their ground and pound ways so I assume I've seen in the NFC recently that Madison's moved up to like a fifth or sixth rounder I assume that's yeah. too high for you if you think that Boone can work his way into this backfield, then that's just asking for disaster that early where you could be getting an impact receiver. And I think I'm on the same side as you are, although I'm monitoring the situation closely. I do tend to bet against the guys who are holding out. But if you're not getting the workhorse back to step in and all of a sudden you're getting a guy at a timeshare, like, are we talking about a, a top 30 back at all? If he's going to start for four games and, and split during that time and then, you know, Dalvin Cook comes back, it's just a lot of risk for a player that early. Well, the reason why I am not drafting Madison there is I just think it's really hard for a running back to hold out now because of the way that the CBA is worded. So the way that, uh, the, way that the CBA is worded now is that these guys who hold out – um, they don't accrue the year of service time. So if he holds out and the Vikings just don't crack at all, I mean, Dalvin Cook might just play for the Vikings his whole career because he's never going to accrue enough service time to run out his rookie deal. I, so, so what I'm doing in fantasy drafts now, though, is I am not drafting Alexander Madison with a, a top seven round pick. You know, I think it's very different than drafting Austin Eckler that early last year because Eckler was going to have some sort of role, you know, pretty much no matter what. He was going to catch passes. He was going to be someone, uh, you know, worst case scenario, he was going to be like Tariq Cohen, basically. And I, that's not going to happen with Madison. If Dalvin Cook comes back, doesn't hold out, like he's just going to be the dude. He is going to start for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Madison was a guy who only worked in sporadically, but he was 12 targets. He didn't catch 10 of them, if you're looking for a positive here. But, uh, you know, a guy with 100 rushing attempts to Dalvin Cook's 250, you would think it would be proportional in terms of the targets, and it's not. If you want to go the two-and-a-half metric to see, you know, kind of the snaps, and the snaps weren't even perfectly in order, but we're talking about, like, 30 targets if he, you know, had the same sort of playing time. So not, like, a real threat to catch a ton of passes, but I think Irv Smith Jr. is probably a guy we should talk about because he was the talk of the offseason before the Vikings drafted a receiver. It's funny, like— did people think they weren't going to after the Stefan Diggs thing? Like, why did the Irv Smith 
you know, hype train basically slowed down. He's 22 years old. We know Kyle Rudolph is is entering the latter stages of his career. He's going to be 31. He caught six touchdowns last year. Irv Smith caught two. It would not shock me. I mean, football moves very quickly. If that turned around this year, I think, you know, the over-under for Irv Smith touchdowns this year should be like four and a half. I think he is going to clearly see an uptick in usage, regardless of what happens with, you know, Justin Jefferson's role. Adam Thielen, I, I feel like, is is the alpha, but this has been an offense that's looked to the tight end in the red zone, and I think this is officially Irv Smith's time. I think Kyle Rudolph is just getting too old. I think there are, is a lot of different ways that this season can play out favorably for Irv Smith Jr. The first would be, he takes over Kyle Rudolph, right? So Kyle Rudolph yep. becomes the reserve tight end. Herb Smith becomes the guy who is playing more of the snaps. The second would be the team lining him up as a wide receiver more, just basically being like, look, we could play Ola B.C. Johnson or, or Chad Beebe, or we can play you. We spent a higher draft pick on you. We think you're better. We want you to play more. So, you know, playing some wide receiver snaps, playing in the red zone more. Um, also Justin Jefferson could just not be ready, right? We can see like a GJ shark ish rookie year where Justin Jefferson is not quite ready, not physically there enough, not, uh, not strong enough to play as an NFL wide receiver. And in that event, I think that the way that the Vikings would play would be just a lot of, um, 21 personnel. So, so, you know, two tight ends. And at that point, I mean, Irv Smith Jr. probably projects for, like, 80 targets or something. And, like, I mean, that's a guy you definitely want to have on your fantasy teams, like a huge chunk of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Irv Smith's a guy I'm going to be t- I'm going to be buying at his ADP. Right now, I mean, so since the start of February, which is probably more of the sample that we need to be looking at, but Irv Smith is being drafted after O.J. Howard who I think is pretty dead. I think this this is probably because of the sample, but he's being basically drafted tight end 20 or later. I think he has the upside to be a tight end one. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. I don't think both Justin Jefferson and him are going to hit big enough. I just don't think there's going to be enough volume. But I think if I'm wrong about Justin Jefferson, it's probably because Irv Smith Jr. took a big role in the passing game. Yeah, that um, that does probably end up being true. So, let's uh, let's let's kind of think out Dalvin Cook here because we know that you know workhorse running backs are really at a premium these days. You know, before any of this rumors of holdout, Dalvin Cook was. I mean, he was sometimes going as the third running back off the board, but pretty much every draft he was going top six every time, no matter what. You know, it is CMC, it's Saquon, it's Zeke, Kamara and Dalvin, right? So so he is in that group. And I think that um, Dalvin Cook maybe holding out has done some interesting things to the market. So people are really, I, I think, probably overvaluing Miles Sanders a little bit, overvaluing Joe Mixon, overvaluing Josh Jacobs, overvaluing Derrick Henry, all of those guys a little bit. But I mean, you know, when, when do you take Dalvin Cook now? When do you value that role as a running back? How do you, how do you compare that to the, the fact of, well, maybe you just don't get Dalvin Cook at all. Maybe he just doesn't play at all this season, which I think is unlikely, but it's possible. I can tell you high-stakes players aren't overreacting as much as I thought they would be. Since the beginning of May, the latest Dalvin Cook has gone in any draft is 10th overall. 
I would have thought there would have been a draft where people would be really scared of this guy. Like the latest Derrick Henry's gone by comparison, 17th. Joe Mixon, 20th. Miles Sanders, 23rd. So they, you know, teams have been scared to the point where he falls, to, or these guys fall to the end of the second round. And that hasn't been the case with Dalvin Cook. I think for me, I would start taking the chance on him after Kenyon Drake was off the board. I think I just, again, I've viewed Kenyon Drake as an RB1 this whole offseason. And so I think they're close enough where I'd take him. Miles Sanders, Dalvin Cook, that's when I'd start thinking Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I think so. I think um, Drake is the line for me as well. I think at this point, I would rather have Miles Sanders and Kenyon Drake, but you know, I, I would. The, the upside with Cook is so good, and I think that you're getting a you know kind of a, a discount on him there in the um in the the back half of the first round. So we are going to go ahead and head into break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, going to the bottom of the NFC North with the Detroit Lions, Matt Stafford, Kenny Galladay. We'll continue that discussion when we get back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. 
I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. In a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our final segment here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders. Uh, we have started going through our NFL team previews here on the show, thinking that uh, of all the things we know, it is certain the NFL is going to play. No matter what, they're finding a way to play these games. So going through team by team, position by position, uh, all the important guys that you need to know have gone through three teams of the NFC North, the Packers, the Vikings, and the Chicago Bears. Now we are sitting with the Detroit Lions, and uh, you know what? I am I'm probably actually a little bit higher than the market on the Detroit Lions because you know what I I think Matt Stafford is good Ricky and I will I will die on this hill maybe not I think he is an above average NFL quarterback I like him so the way I kind of think of Matt Stafford is I don't know if you were in a fraternity in college but there was always one guy that like your group of friends hung out with and you would never acknowledge was like a good dude. You always, there was always just something about him that irked you. And Matt Stafford is like that version of the guy to me in fantasy. And then you finally hang out with the guy and give him a shot. And he like turns out to be hilarious. And, and you just welcome him into the group. I feel like I've been neglecting Matt Stafford for so long. And just looking at these numbers, it makes me wonder why I've been off like the match, the weight on Matt Stafford train in fantasy. In eight games last year, he had 2,500 yards. He was on pace for 5,000 and basically 40 touchdowns. And for some reason, I have just been on the, no, I'd rather have the Russell Wilsons. I'd rather go, you know, the the Dak Prescott's, the guys who run. And I just kind of overlook these guys who are just pure arm strength sort of dudes. And I think sort of like the fraternity example, we need to just give this guy a chance. He's not as bad as he seems. I mean, I, I last year argued that it would be reasonable to propose that Matt Stafford should have gotten some MVP votes, like not, not first place MVP votes, but like third, fourth and fifth place because he was playing so strongly last year. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I think the fact that people don't like Matt Stafford also sort of drags down the ADP of his wide receivers. Now, it's not true this year. You are paying total full price for Kenny Galladay, but you're not paying full price for Marvin Jones, who uh, had three less receptions in uh, three less games than Kenny Galladay and nine touchdowns to Kenny Galladay's 11. I mean, Marvin Jones is a legit discount. Like, you can get this guy in, like, the ninth and tenth round of your best ball drafts. Like, he is a stone-cold layup there. Yeah, there are a lot of guys who love Marvin Jones. And there are guys who love him, yeah. I get it, 
but he's 30 years old. And, you know, the reception difference doesn't mean much to me when you see the quality of the receptions for Kenny Galladay just always seems to be the guy that they're targeting downfield over 18 yards of reception last year compared to 12.6 for Marvin Jones. And the catch rate was lower, but the difficulty of catches, you know, throwing to him downfield was more difficult. So, I mean, a 56% catch rate, not what you want to see for a top receiver, but they're feeding him with volume. I mean, the, the targets weren't that close, 116 for Galladay, 91 for Marvin Jones. Look, I have been off TJ Hawkinson for a few years, but in terms of talent, he is, I don't want to call him up there with like the Noah Fant and the Mike Gesicki, because I think his talent is slightly less than theirs. But he's good enough that over time he should be a productive tight end in this league. And I think Kenny Galladay is the true number one. I am okay taking the shot on Marvin Jones here, but I think expecting nine touchdowns once again from an aging guy, seeing they've got Danny Amendola as, you know, kind of a possession guy to add in there. They've got two backs who can catch the ball now. Uh, I don't know if I'm insanely high on him to the point where I would reach any higher than his ADP. If he fell to me, I certainly would be okay with it, but I'd rather just pay the full price for Galladay personally. Yeah. Um, now, we don't have a big best ball tournament out right now. I think that one probably will come, and I don't know if it'll be a million bucks to first. I don't know if it'll be 100000 to first, but I, I do think we should get something soon. And uh, I, I really like doing the triple stack, and I, I would love the idea of Matt Stafford at his current cost. You know, you can get him in the 12th, 13th, 14th round, and then you can take Kenny Galladay in the third, Marvin Jones in the eighth. And, I mean, that is a huge triple stack that has the ability on any given week to combine for, you know, 80 points or whatever. So I should note that that strategy is viable from the sense that if you put Matt Stafford on pace last year, for 38 touchdowns, that pace slowed down significantly in the games that he did not play. We saw a total of eight passing touchdowns in the eight games from David Blow and Jeff Driscoll. So if Tough you scenes. Think, yeah, if you think that touchdown pace continues for both players, then I understand the argument. I still think Marvin Jones is aging, and I think TJ Hawkinson's two touchdowns are going to go up by default. But I think Galladay could give you like a 13-14 touchdown season. If we get a healthy Matt Stafford, I, I don't even see that as the ceiling for Galladay. I see why you could you could view Marvin Jones as like a double-digit guy. But like these secondary guys, I, I view more touchdowns coming their way if you get a, a healthy Matt Stafford. And I think TJ Hawkinson, it, it finally could be his year. I mean, really, uh, I think this is a guy who could score over six touchdowns. So... I think we are both in on Stafford at cost. What about DeAndre Swift at uh, in the fifth round? You know, he goes about uh, he goes right around in there, or carry on Johnson in the eighth or ninth round. I mean, to me, I kind of think both of them are are honestly a little bit unappealing. So DeAndre Swift is getting drafted before David Montgomery. In terms of volume, the guaranteed volume for David Montgomery is so much higher. You look at those 240 just rushing attempts last year. Uh, I think we're talking about one of the heaviest volume backs in the entire league who isn't great, which is why he's being priced there. 
versus DeAndre Swift, who still has carry on Johnson there on a team where running backs have been a disaster as of late. Uh, just looking at the guys around him, I think Cam Akers maybe even has a similar, if not better, opportunity in year one than DeAndre Swift. Uh, we've talked about Swift, and I'm holding true to it. The price has gotten cheaper here than it is in rookie drafts, and I'm still not on Swift. Yeah, so... I think that there are some reasons if you are a, a zero RB drafting team to like DeAndre Swift. Um, the first would be is that Carrion Johnson is a good running back, but I don't think he's done enough to be considered like unimpeachable in the Lions backfield. Like if if Swift comes in and is just crushing training camp, uh, does really well right away. You know, maybe he scores like a long touchdown in his first game. Uh, you know, he picks up the pass blocking stuff pretty quickly. I can totally see the Lions just being like, look, man, Swift is is better. So these are these this is what we have in carry on Johnson's career. Um, as a rookie, he played in 10 games, started seven. Uh, he averaged 5.4 yards per carry. Uh, averaged 5.5 yards per target, scored four touchdowns on 150 touches. Like fine, like good numbers. You know, you're 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 not. Uh, you don't think he's terrible. You don't think he's the best player in the world. Last year, 403 rushing yards in eight games. Uh, scored three touchdowns. Again, caught one touchdown. Was targeted only 15 times. And I think the fact that um, this team they they keep drafting and signing pass catching running backs to me. I think that's an indicator that maybe they um, they don't actually love carry on in the passing game all that much. So Swift was a big pass catcher at the University of Georgia. They still have Ty Johnson on the roster, and then this this um, kind of snet like slipped through the cracks. No one talks about this when talking about the uh, the Lions draft, but they draft Jason Huntley in the fifth round of the NFL draft, and Huntley was like a pure pass catching running back in college like he he is like a a Chris Thompson Duke Johnson uh Naheem Hines style player so I I kind of think they are broadcasting like carry on Johnson doesn't matter to us yeah and that's appealing for DeAndre Swift and I'm, by the way how do you not use theoretic is the uh oh yeah how do I how do I skip past theoretic as the obvious pass catching back there <laughs> But, yeah, so from that perspective, I mean, if you think Carrion Johnson is phased out, there is some value to DeAndre Swift. But knowing that there is a third down back who's going to take a bunch of that reception workload and we know that pass catching is in the Swift skill set, that's even a bit disheartening. If you do get a scenario, though, where DeAndre Swift is is crushing preseason and he looks like the best back they have had in quite some time, I think drafting DeAndre Swift should be correlated with you looking at the FanDuel Sportsbook and taking the over six and a half wins. Because I think if this team is able to establish a running game, that takes them to a level that they haven't been in quite some time. And you can mix that with Matt Stafford on offense and give him that protection. I think you either are fading Swift and you feel decent about this Lions under, or you're drafting Swift and you feel decent about the Lions over. Yeah, I, uh, I I like that idea. I actually I actually think that um, I I think that you can make an argument that the Lions are actually maybe better than the Packers, right? Um, or or that they have the ability to win more games than them. And and I know that seems absurd. Like someone's yelling at someone's yelling at their TV right now. But I do <laughs> I, I I believe I believe that the Lions' offense is fairly talented. Um, are we are we concerned at all about? 
TJ Hawkinson's offseason ankle surgery and the report that he is perhaps not back to 100% yet. Because I, I think that, you know, having a young tight end like Hawkinson, who is amazing at blocking and is a good, you know, red zone threat, a good, uh, you know, good third down guy, like that can do huge things to an offense. You know, we've seen examples of that with Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski and, you know, like just those young athletic tight ends who are very good at blocking can change the whole direction of an offense. Are we worried that, you know, we, we might be a little bit too optimistic on the Lions if Hawkinson is not healthy? So, yes, from that perspective, yes. I wanted to take a look from a fantasy perspective where he's going after pick 134 in most drafts. And I think because you're making sort of a, uh, you know, a pick for the ceiling at this point anyways, that for fantasy purposes, because we're only in June, I'm not overly concerned yet. I still think at 134, if he hits, then you might have yourself a tight end one. If he flops, you could just drop him like basically anyone else you'd be drafting in this area. So for fantasy purposes, yes. If you're looking at the Lions and you know thinking what's going to take them to the next level, what makes me confident that they can win seven games, I think having TJ Hawkinson to kind of back up a 30-year-old Marvin Williams, if anything happens with him, makes you feel a lot better. And if you want to wait that out, I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that is fine as well. You know, the guys who I think you can feel pretty confident drafting at their cost for this team, I think Matthew Stafford, in terms of a pass-only quarterback, I think he is going to make you happy. I think TJ Hawkinson, assuming that we get good reports on his health, I think that he is going to be a, a building block of some winning teams. And then, of course, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. And, and there's a lot of passing volume to go around in this offense and keep everyone happy. Everyone that's going to do it for us here today on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. This has been Davis Maddock and Ricky Sanders taking you around the NFC North as we do our NFL team previews. And we will be back tomorrow with even more NFL team preview coverage for all of you. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah, psh. I'm Tony Cameron brown a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. 
I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.